everybody. Good evening and welcome to Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Media Angelo, joined tonight by my co-host, Gary Arnold, better known as the lovable Livid the Clown, and marvelous Mike Messier, the movie maker extraordinaire. Mikey, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, and it's uh, really a pleasure to have our uh, guest on tonight. Don't tip uh, the hand. Don't tip the hand, brother. Don't tip the hand. <laughs> no tipping on the hand, but I'll, I'll let you introduce him. But I, just so you know, I, I saw him wrestle live a couple of times uh, in my youth, and uh, it's just great to uh, be here with you guys. And Gary, how's life with Livid? Uh, life's going pretty good. You know, you're you're a man of many words, Gary. <laughs> I got to get you to loosen up, brother. <laughs> well, let me, uh, before we do anything, let me just uh, do some housekeeping here. Uh, the show uh, just picked up another station. We are now at 557,000 downloads, and we're hitting about 75,000 people a week. So thank you very much, fans. We appreciate it. Awesome. Well, tonight we've got a very, very special guest, and we may actually have two guests before the night's over. But, albeit one guest is sufficient and plenty for me, because this guest is absolutely amazing. His career began right after his career in football ended. And uh, were it not for the lore of the ring... We might be calling the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez one of the greatest linemen of the 20th century. However, <laughs> we're going to call him one of the greatest pro wrestlers that ever lived. The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. Manny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. But greatest wrestler ever lived is the one that trained me with uh, Terry Funk and Dick Murdoch. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yeah, my mentor. I don't think I'm the greatest ever. There's so many great wrestlers. I mean, I have the fortune to say that I wrestled the greatest wrestlers of our time. That, that's well, you only- certainly have, my friend. And uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna walk through the uh, the life of Manny Fernandez. It's gonna take you down memory lane a little bit, Gary. I mean, uh, Manny. Um, I'm looking at Gary here. Um, Manny, uh, you know, you and I spoke on the phone about a week or so ago, talked a little bit about your love for football and uh, and how football led to wrestling. There's a lot of people don't know that story. Tell everybody who you went to school with and uh, and what's in the water there in West Texas, brother. Well, I didn't know nothing about West Texas. The true story is uh, when I came home from uh, serving my country, I was struggling. And I had offers to, before I decided to enlist, uh, drop my scholarships from many schools for uh, not only football, but amateur wrestling. UCLA, all the Pac-10 schools, mainly for uh, football and wrestling. And uh, I went and enlisted and served my country. And uh, one of the coaches that recruited me to UCLA for football ended up at West Texas State. I never even heard of the place. Never even heard of the place. And um, my mom found out about it. and. She got a hold of the coach and stuff, and he convinced me to walk on to West Texas State and uh, use my GI Bill to get in. He said, and I told him, nah, I haven't played ball in years, man. I don't think I'm good enough to play anymore. He goes, oh, you're good enough. He convinced me to come back. Where I went to West Texas State and uh, wasn't really happy with, uh, you know, being, I always played uh, first string, uh, you know, 
I was junior college all American, unanimous selection, offensive lineman, junior college wrestling uh, all American. You know, that led to West Texas State, and I got to West Texas State, and my craziness and not want to stick around and play third string, fourth string behind anybody. I just went off and started beating people up. I ran into people like uh, Terry Funk, Lee Murdoch, Dory Funk, you know. I didn't really know them, but, you know, I met them in a weird way of uh, when we used to jog up to Buffalo Bowl. All the offensive linemen had to report and had to run up to Buffalo Bowl within a certain time. And Terry at that time had a ranch called the Double Cross, and he would ride his horse up and down, yelling at us to move the fat guys. Move. And I told everybody, who the F is this clown? And everybody got all mad. Said, oh, he's a poor wrestler. He's a poor wrestler. Poor wrestling fake. What the hell? <laughs> so that's, that's how funny. I got to know him. Yeah, that's yeah. how I got to know him. That's basically, everybody said, oh, this kid's crazy. He's always fighting all the players and stuff. So. Well, you know, and I and you and I talked about this, and uh, you, you know, your your entry into into pro wrestling almost didn't happen because you were so damn good at football. Um, and was it an injury that sidelined you, or or did you uh, or did you really have that that bug inside you that wanted to try this wrestling thing? No, it it, it all came out. You know, back in the seventies, uh, pro football players were huge. You know that they were huge. You know, big monsters, you know, six, seven, six, eight, three hundred fifty pounds, all that. That's a, they weren't like they are today, lean and mean, as fast as hell, you know. But they were huge, and you know, it just caught up to me. You know, six, barely over six foot, two hundred sixty pounds. I took a pounding on the taxi squad there, and then finally, yeah. you know, you, you get that that slip in your locker, you know, that yellow slip as you release. So you know, I got released, yeah. and I always knew that I had that. Murdoch and them wanted me to wrestle so bad, and I always knew it that I had that to fall back on because right. I figured I had PTSD, so I wasn't going to get a nine-to-five job. So you know, I was very fortunate that they still believed in me, and I was very fortunate that they, you know, followed up with me and stayed uh, in touch with yeah. me and uh, got me to training. Yeah, Manny, were you always athletic? Were you were you athletic growing up as a kid? Did you play sports? Well, since I was eight years old. Wow. I wrestled football and baseball, you know, since I was eight years old. I was good at all three sports. The greatest compliment I ever got is uh, one day Dusty Rhodes was at a match in uh, Richmond, West, uh, Richmond, Virginia, and somebody told him, man, <laughs> that's a hell of a worker out there. He looked at the guy. Uh, the guy said he thought he pissed Dusty out, but Dusty turned around and told him, that ain't no rusher. That's a hell of an athlete. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Mike Messier, you got a question for the Raging Bull. Well, Raging Bull, uh, just kind of going down memory lane here on my second uh, computer monitor, revisiting the time that uh, the Raging Bull turned heel on uh, Boogie, Woogie, G Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant in uh, Jim Crockett Promotions. And, you know, for me, uh, Raging Bull, those days, you really, as a fan, you really did believe you know, you really did believe in the magic because you had been such a, a good friend of Dusty Rhodes, Jimmy Valiant, Magnum TA, all the established uh, good guys in Jim Crockett promotions. And then that heel turn with Paul Jones offering you this briefcase full of money. And uh, we've got Chaska Watley and Baron Von Raschke. Can you, can you take us back to that night and maybe... 
Yeah, you know, when this is coming about, I always remember when I was young. I, you know, when I was a green kid in this business, I had some of the greatest veterans that I worked that taught me so much, and they were such great heels, especially in Florida, you know. They fed me. Eddie Graham fed me some of the greatest heels in the business. From them, I learned some one thing. If you're going to be a heel, don't be afraid to heal. Do what you got to do to get over and get the people pissed off, you know, and, and always live uh, as a heel, not be afraid to get heat. Don't be afraid to get heat. Live for the heat. And, exactly. you know, when I decided to do that, you know, for the first time in my career, I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all out. And then uh, when we did it, everybody said it was so perfect because the timing and the timing of taking the money and the briefcase and everything. But that night, you know, was really the first time. I've, I've heard of white heat. The right. old timers, you talk about white heat. When you got white heat, you better look out, you know, and all this stuff. I've heard of it. But I never knew, you know, never realized it could really happen. But that night in Charlotte, at Charlotte Coliseum, it was Tommy Young who told me after that happened, I was kind of being cocky and stuff, trying to, you know, put a little more heat on myself. Tommy goes, dude. You could hear a pin drop in here. You better get to the dressing room. And I did notice all of a sudden it was so silent. Then when they exploded, it was the first time I ever felt white heat. I thought they were going to kill me. I thought they were going to kill me. I literally had a woman, when I got out of the building after everybody left, I took my time getting out, come up and put a 32 Smith the Western to my head. Oh, they my God. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> well, you, I, I tell you what, that you know, I've heard stories like this before where, you know, people would come up with guns and knives and slash your tires and set your car on fire. That That's heat, brother. Yeah. Oh, what, yeah. What happened to that kind of heat, man? What, where, did the, where did the art of heat go? I don't know. The guys are too much into, you know, crowd. Getting the the crowd, it, they lose the heat when they go after the crowd instead of then the crowd come to them. You know, I was always taught just do your work in the ring, and if it's believable, they will come to you. They'll get mad at you. You know, they, you you don't have to beg for for the heat. You know, if you like that, see what I did. Hey, hey, you look what I'm gonna do. You know that kind of stuff. I can't stand that stuff. You know, it's just you watch guys that were great heels like Murdoch and Morocco and King Curtis and Harley Race, especially Harley yeah. Race. I, you know, when they were here and Terry Funk, I mean, you watch people like that, they weren't afraid of nothing. They, you know, they just did their job and they got so much heat and you could sell so good for them to make the people believe that you're really being destroyed and really being hurt, which sometimes you were, you know. Yeah. <laughs> in the old days, you know, they laid it in. In the old days, they, it was believable. You know? Yeah. Mikey's got a question for you, Manny. Good, Mike. Yeah. Manny, you mentioned Don Morocco as a great heel. That was uh, one of my favorite heels as a kid. I mean, I, I at the time I hated him. I didn't realize how much I, I really loved the, the the rock Don Morocco. But um, didn't you have a feud with him in Florida? Am I am I mistaken in that? Did you have a feud in yeah, like 1979 with yeah, Morocco? It was fabulous, it was fabulous uh, angle, and, and you know we had we were married to each other for six months, and I thought I learned so much from it. Slow down, kid. Take it. He's not ready yet. You know, stay down. You know, I love Don Morocco. One of the greatest workers. You know, what's so great about Don Morocco, he had so much heat. Even if I beat him every night, he was still over and his heat was still great. You know, I would, I yeah. would slip over by the skin of my teeth. I, he slipped on a banana pill, you know, and I got him one, two, three. 
but he had so much tag on heat that did not matter. You know, it did not matter. Incredible. Uh, Yeah. He knew how to keep his seat. That's why I admired him. You know, you, you, you told us about, you know, Terry Funk training you. Uh, what was it like for you back in, I guess, around 78, 79, when, uh, when Terry put you over for the Florida Heavyweight Championship? Walk me through well, that night. Yeah, you know, when I trained in Amarillo, when I was done playing ball at 78, uh, I trained with all of them. Dory, Terry, Dickie, Mulligan, Dennis Stamp, you know, Hardy, Dust. I mean, <laughs> I had a crew. And if I messed up, boy, trust me, I got punished. You know, they all thought, they all knew that I was a tough kid. I wasn't going to put up a shit, but to do what I had to do and, and to humble myself because I wanted to do it was the best thing I ever done in my life. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, and then paid dividends right away because once I started learning right away, you know, I, some of the guys today, the young guys, uh, the old, younger in my generation, some of the young guys that started always started, you know, on the bottom doing jobs and stuff like that, paying their dues, you know, and, and, and for whatever reason, I did Broadway's, 15-minute Broadway's, 10-minute Broadway's, and, you know, if I wrestled a star like J.J. Dillon one time, beating beat me on TV, they saw, they were testing me to see if I had an ego. That's why I tell people, I never had an ego about wrestling. I always knew what it was. And I always know what it's going to be. So I never believe in all this crap about superstar and legends. Because I've always known what the business was about is getting each other over. Yeah. So that's that that happened to me at a very young stage of my career. Eight months into the business, Terry went to Eddie, and I didn't know this till later on. About seven years ago, when I me and Terry have a yearly sit down, we sit down, discuss everything going on in the business. He and Jen around Christmas or when I'm nearby, uh, and he went to Eddie and told me, you know, we got to put this belt on this kid. He's hot here. He's Latino and you know, we got a lot of Latin people, Cubans coming over from the Marielle, you know, all that going on with Cuba and all the Latinos in uh, Florida anyway. So I was kind of skeptical. And then, you know, Terry did it in Orlando. And it just, boom, started. Boom, you know. Just, yeah. And then, you know, we, you know what's funny? We just sketched that this Christmas when I went to spend Christmas with Terry. We brought that up because if all my life I thank him for what he does. And I'll thank him till the day I die. Because you know, it's, it's funny that um, it, as far as I know, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that might have been your first championship in wrestling. Exactly. Yes, it was. And it was one of the greatest ever lived to me, you know. Yeah. And like I said, we, we were talking about that at Christmas, and I keep thanking him every time I do. Thank you for what you did for me in my young career. But he always tells me, yeah, kid, but you had it and you ran with it. That's all that mattered. You ran yeah. with it and you kept running with it. And, you know, and that's why I'm so grateful, you know, to all the Absolutely. old times. Well, I'll tell you me. what, I'm, I'm going to see Terry on April the 11th uh, at the Icons of Wrestling Convention. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to let him know that you and I spoke. Um, he is he is a gentleman. He is a, he's a, certainly a character, you know. A great wrestler, and I think you would agree with this, a great wrestler really has to be two people. He's got to be his own true self, and then he's got to be the guy that everybody thinks he is. Correct. Did you ever have a problem with, like, separating Manny Fernandez from the Raging Bull? 
No, no. The only problems I had separating Manny Fernandez from the Raging Bull was when somebody said it was fake. Mm. <laughs> then, you know, when uh, confrontations in bars, people say their refs is fake. I said, well, fake this. You know, and then, yeah. You know, so that's we, about the only We actually heard a lot of bar stories on this show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, outside of that, you know, I'm just, I've always known who Manny Fernandez is. You know, he's really Manuel Fernandez. And I always know him with, a, you know, what I was able to accomplish by being the Ranger Bowman in front of it. And, and like I said, it wasn't me. It was the people they put in front of me that made me. I did what they told me to do, and they loved what I, the way I did it. So I was very blessed with all the great guys. I mean, I had fabulous wrestlers that I wrestled my whole career. Manny, where did the Raging Bull come from? Where'd that fighting, name start? Murdoch fighting in bars. Oh, no shit. Know, <laughs> when I was in West Texas State, you know, I played ball, and we'd go after the games, and we'd home game, we'd go. We'd meet Murdoch at the Whiskey River. Murdoch would be drinking, and we'd be having fun. Some old cowboy come over, start messing around, and talk about wrestling. And I, I wasn't a wrestler. I was a college football player at the time, but I'd get angry. And I get angry and just getting fights. Yeah. You know, that's so amazing. That's, well, I have to tell you, one of the guys that, that I spoke to that put you over to the moon was Boogie Woogie, Jimmy Valiant. He said, Manny was a guy that no matter what, anything you asked him to do, Manny would do it. Manny yeah. had no ego. Manny would do whatever, whatever you asked him to do. If you asked Manny to stand on his head in the corner and stay there, he'd do it for you. Yeah. I've never had an ego about pro wrestling. I just did. And unfortunately, it got me to where I'm gone. But, you know, <laughs> talking about funny story. I'll tell you a funny story about Hardy Race. You know, we had, in St. Pete, Florida, we had <laughs> the world title. And he asked me if I could hang myself. I went, what? <laughs> he goes, you think you can hang yourself, kid? I said, sir, I've never done anything like that. He goes, it's easy. I'm going to drop down. You put your head and shoulders between the second top rope and the second rope and just kick your feet over real hard. <laughs> I said, okay, sir, I guess I'll do it. And boom, and I did it. And that video, they, it's on video. And I hung myself. Oh, God, that was the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I was hanging there choking to death, and Harley just goes, Frenchie was the referee there. Frenchie, I'm pretty sure you know Frenchie took care of Andre, the referee. Yeah. And he looked at Frenchie and goes, That stupid kid did it. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never forget that. <laughs> Just this old word. We've we've heard a lot of stories on this show about a guy that is either a mad genius or a, an egotist or a guy who thought outside the box, depending on uh on who you talk to, but this one guy has all of these things associated with him. His name is Dusty Rhodes. Tell us about well, the Dusty Rhodes that you know. You know, when I first met Dusty, uh, they sent me to Florida. And I'll tell you a story. The, the first time I met him, but I went to report in from Texas because they told me as soon as you get to Florida, Tampa, Florida, you go to the office, you'll meet a guy named Charlie Lay. And I guess Charlie wrestled in the 30s and 40s. And he told me, and uh, you go, yeah, how you doing? I introduced myself, how you doing? And I come, I said, I'm Manny Fernandez and blah, blah, blah. He says, well, you got your gear? I said, yeah, I was taught never to go nowhere without my gear. 
this is kid going there and dress up, suit up. I'm going, what the hell's going on here? So I get dressed up and I went through the curtain. And for the first time ever, I didn't know who the guy was, but it was Gordon Soli. <laughs> Gordon Soli said, hey, how you doing, kid? We're, we've been expecting you. And I go, damn, what's going on here? So I'm dressed, I'm suited up and stuff like that. And I go in there and there's a reading where they did TV taping. And next thing I know, Hero Matsuda and Jack and Jerry Briscoe come out. They're all dressed up. He got in the ring with me and just went at it. We went at it for about an hour. And they tore me up. <laughs> I was yeah. pretty good. But that wasn't that good yet. And that was that good. But, you know, they tore me up. And then here, all of a sudden, I see a door open and two men coming down the stairs that I never – I do Dusty from the West Exit. I never saw Eddie Graham. But that was the first time I laid eyes on him. He come down the stairs, and Eddie Graham goes, so what do you guys think? Jackie Jerry Matsuda went, oh, the kid's pretty tough. I said, yeah, right. You just handed me my ass for an hour and that's tough. They go, well, you didn't quit. <laughs> yeah, that's the first that's time. That's amazing. Ever you know, yeah, and, I mean, and Dusty was a guy that uh, that you tag teamed with. Um, yeah. uh, you, I think it was you and Dusty against, um, maybe and, and Mikey, uh, see if I'm right about this. It was uh, Don Carnoodle yep. and maybe Ivan Koloff. That's exactly who it was. Yeah, they won the tag yeah, team titles. Yeah. But Dusty, to tell you the truth, you know, I had known Dusty and stuff, but after I got to Florida and going better, Dusty would come in his big Rolls Bentley to pick me up. I used to be embarrassed. I didn't want to go with him because <laughs> he always wanted me to wear a cowboy hat. I told him, no, man. Can't wear no hat. <laughs> he says, you can now, kid. I said, okay, I guess I can. <laughs> so I always had to wear a cowboy hat and drive in the Rolls Bentley, <laughs> which I know anybody else would probably think, oh, man, I'm driving the Rolls. I was kind of embarrassed. <laughs> but he was he was a character. Dusty lived lived his life. You know, yeah, you know, and life. it's funny because, uh, we've, you know, we've had a lot of people on the show who knew Dusty? I mean, we just had uh, Baby Doll for her second appearance on the show. Baby Doll's a good friend of mine, right. and uh, you know, she said that the Dusty that she knew was a gentleman, brilliant beyond his uh, his years, um, a guy who had such a, a a big picture, as she called it, a big picture feel for wrestling. She, you know, Dusty was the guy. That put wrestling from the small television studio to the big arena. Would you agree with that? Totally. Dusty, the, the all the Dusty was my booker for thirty years. I everywhere Dusty went, he brought me in. He called me his pistol. He was my that's my pistol. And you know when people got out of line, yeah, I got physical. You know, don't hurt people. You stretch them a little bit, but you know he was my booker, and I loved him to death. Dusty was an unbelievable genius. His imagination for wrestling was out of this world. His I idea, heard. His idea. Yeah, we, we've heard that, that he was he, just, you know, incredible. It, like, his mind never stopped. No, because he, if you looked at his booking book, he could book three months ahead. All the angles were so far ahead. What we did three was, was coming up three months down the road. Because I would always peek at his book. I, I had a love-hate relationship with Dusty because a lot of people wanted to kiss his ass. I wouldn't kiss his ass. I got in trouble. I used to get in Dusty's doghouse all the time. That's why I would wrestle 
such a good, this guy dropped me down the court. I didn't care. I didn't care. You know, I was I was still getting paid one way or another. I still made yeah. the same money. So if well, yeah, the money's down, the same, right? Of course. Yeah. Anyway, I was in a contract, so it didn't matter. But, you know, I, I always got, eh, I'd get pissed about Rick Blair kissing butt all the time with the, like Wahoo McDaniel said one time, Jim Crockett, don't turn the corner too hard. You might break Rick Blair's nose. You know, you know, just that kind of stuff. I could <laughs> yeah. never go to that. I wasn't an office boy. You know, I didn't, I didn't kiss his yeah. ass. I didn't. He wanted and expected me every now and then. I get pissed off and overdo it, and he get mad at me. They tell me, I, you know, easy money, baby. You got to slow down, baby, and all that kind of good shit. But you know, he was unbelievable when it came to booking wrestling. His you know, Manny, one of the one of the things that Dusty is known for. Even now, uh, you know, all these years later, he was always known for a guy who could take just a couple of bullet points and cut the most incredible off the top of his head promo that you ever heard. When you worked with him back in the day, did you see that kind of genius then? Oh, hell yeah, because I copied it. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> People ask me to cut promos all the time because they say, well, you're going to take off Dusty. Well, hell yeah. They got him a million dollars. Why would I not? I do it my own way. <laughs> exactly. I, do my, I stole everything he did, but I do it my own way. You know? And, and oh, so sure. People, you know, there's nothing original in pro wrestling. Forget about it. Don't think you're original. It's been exactly. done. It was done in the 40s and 50s. Argentina, Paula Rocco was diving over the top. Somebody said, oh, wow, Manny Fernandez dove over the top rope in Richmond, Virginia on the Barbarian. It's just, I only copied a guy that wrestled 40 years ago. Dude. Oh, my God, original. sure. Yeah, Absolutely. If you cannot take something from a guy that's a genius and he's teaching you this, then you're an idiot. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you got a guy like Dusty Rhodes, you'd be crazy not to steal something from him. Oh yeah, I you know? did a lot of that. I did a lot of that, but you know, Manny it, was was Dusty open to people picking his brain for ideas? Did he did he want people to talk to him and ask him questions? You know, I, I only drove with him a few times, and I would do that. You know, I would do that because it, you know when I first met him uh, as a booker in Florida, I could see that he was so good at what he did. If you didn't ask. That's why I think later on in life I got to book Global Wrestling Federation, uh, South Atlantic and uh, North American, because I would copy. I would sit down with him and watch him put his these shows together. And I go, damn, damn, that's amazing, man. If this yeah. works, it's going to be unbelievable. And it did. His great dream was Great American Bash. The Great American Bash led up to Vince becoming WrestleMania, but his dream was first. Great American Bash created WrestleMania. You know what? And we, we actually heard that story. Um, yep. So the story goes that at the time, first of all, let me get my timeline right. Manny, what at that time was, was Mr. Crockett Sr. still alive or he had he passed by then? No, he had passed. He had passed. Okay, so it was, it was Jim Crockett Jr. was, was running it, right? Yeah. Yes, okay. Was. So Starcade and Great American Bash, right? Those were Dusty's creations. Okay. Now, how did they parlay that idea into a full-blown show? Who did Dusty have to convince to believe in him 
to pull something like that off? Because you're talking about something that was like way ahead of its time, brother. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it was Jim Crockett's faith. Jim Crockett had a lot of faith in Dusty. You know, uh, me and Crockett always, yeah, we were in and out. You know, he'd always get mad because if I did something, uh, uh, Monday, they found out, call me Monday, Manny, you got another fight in such this town in New York, Pennsylvania, whatever. We need to come in and talk about you calming down. You know, it, 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 I could see the faith that Jim Crockett had in Dusty. Every time I'd have to go to the office, because I'd come in and talk to the dream. Then we'd BS, and he'd tell me what's coming up, and Jim would come in. And he had so much faith in Dusty. He put his money on Dusty, and, it, and he ended up winning. You know, he ended up winning. He ended up, you know, curating Starcade and Great American Bash, and that's how it became. Just Jim wow. Crockett believing in this. Mike Messier's got a couple questions for you. Go ahead, Mikey. Well, first, I just want to say that that hanging match that Manny described against uh, Harley Race for the fans that want to cross-reference, you can find it on YouTube, NWA World Heavyweight Title Match, Harley Race versus Manny Fernandez, February 9th, 1980. And I, I watched that match as you were describing it, Manny. And, uh, you know, Manny's style of wrestling, to me, was a little bit ahead of its time because he would really hit hit the air not not the flip-flop stuff that we see today but more of a of a reasonable attack with a lot of flying uh forearm smashes back fists i used right. to love watching manny he'd throw a guy against the ropes when they would come back manny would hit him with a elbow to the midsection and then a back fist to the face or the chin and it, it looked very believable looked very like martial arts uh, yeah. another Another thing I want to comment well, on. Well, you know man- what, Mikey? Not, not to interrupt you, but I got to tell you. I've always described Manny Fernandez's style as a no-bullshit style. Right. And, and that's just, you know, straight up as, as real as it gets. You know, because yeah. Manny was, let's be honest about it. Manny, you were never a fancy guy. You know, no. you just went in there and and fought like your life depended on it and made it look believable. And that's something that nobody knows how to do now. They, they don't know how to make it look real. Correct. You know, believable. What, you know, yeah. wh- when, you, when you give credit to Terry Funk for your, your training, did he emphasize that believability in you? <laughs> yes, but the one that uh, I copied a lot from was Dickie Murdoch. He was so believable. His punches were unreal. I learned to punch like he punched. Where I could throw a punch right at your nose, and it looked like I broke your nose, but you don't feel nothing but the little breeze going by you. Same thing with my knee. Ray Stevens taught me that bombs away knee that I did on Ivan Koloff off the cage. I could drop yeah. that right on your face, and you wouldn't feel nothing. People trusted me because I was good at what I was taught to do. I mastered what the guys taught me to do. What they did, I worked so hard on. And so this flying around was, that's how I fought in the bar. You gave me, <laughs> you gave me a bunch of zip, I come running with a fly, bam, hit you with a flying elbow on the bar, and then I went after you. You know, <laughs> that's that's what I took from bar fighting into pro wrestling in the ring. I yeah. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I was just kind of reliving some of these great memories of uh, Manny's career, and one of them that sticks out in my mind was, uh, I believe it was December 6, uh, 1986, I was actually going to go to a pro hockey game with my dad uh, in Virginia, the Washington Capitals, but I was sick. 
And I ended up staying home that night and watching uh, Manny Fernandez and Ravishing Rick Rude win the NWA World Tag Team title in what seemed to be like an hour-long match against the Rock and Roll Express. And uh, that was right after the heel turn that Manny... Uh, and Manny, to your credit, you kind of uh, elevated Paul Jones's army because before then, Paul Jones's army was kind of a, a cast of goofy characters like Baron Von Raschke and Congo the Barbarian, no offense to them. But when you and Rude became the centerpiece of the Paul Jones's army, you took him as a manager uh, to another level of seriousness. And the Rude and Bull tag team is still referenced by wrestling fans as one of those underappreciated, underrated uh, championship combos. Could you speak about your tenure with Rick Rude and winning the belts and, and working with Paul Jones? I was, hoping, I was hoping somebody say that. Rick Rude is great. Rick Rude is one of the most fantastic guys I'd ever, you know, I had tag team teams with Magnum and Dusty and everything, but the great, and, and Jimmy Valiant, but the greatest guy I tag team with was Rick Rude. Rick Rude understood his, his position when he put us together, you know. He was one of the guys, Rick Rude was methodical and he had the body and he was the lady killer and all that. But the guy that was the worker on the team was me. And that's right. the way Dusty put it to us. And you, you let Rick Rude do his thing, you go in there, work your ass off, get everybody over. You know, and that was my job. That's why I had fun wrestling Rick and Morton for the last 40 years. In fact, I got him this weekend. But, you know, I've been wrestling Ricky Morton since 1980 over in uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling for Joe Blanchard. And we've been together against this. So it, I made Rude understand it doesn't matter how big we are compared to them. we got to get them over. And, you know, Isn't that amazing, though, Manny? Isn't that amazing that here 30 years later you're still working, Ricky? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I still put him over. He's great. <laughs> you know. I, I, I got to tell you, I have, a, I have a Rock and Roll Express story to share with you. I brought <laughs> Ricky and Robert into New Jersey. For uh, to work for me for my promotion, and they stayed at my house for three days, and they didn't sleep, Manny. Honest to God, they did not sleep for three days. They lived on Dunkin' Donuts, cigarettes, and coffee. And when they, I swear to you, brother, and when they hit the ring, they looked like they were rested and raring. I mean, they didn't skip a beat. They didn't miss a step. Yeah, they were amazing, those guys. And they still are. You watch them today. It's just, I, I'm amazed that at, at 62 years old, that, you know, Ricky can do the stuff that he does. I'm like, I'm 61 and I, I can barely get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> well, that's old school. You know, we used to do that. Sometimes we party and get drunk all the way to, to the morning and jump on an airplane and go to the next town. You know that. It's yeah. the way we our life was, but. You know, with Ricky and them, you know, with Rude, with Rude and me, we had so much fun with them because our job was to get them over. Our job was to get the Warriors over. We had matches with the Warriors, and we, you know, we got beat up and we stole our butts. That was us. We had to sell our butt to get those guys over. You know, we got ours in at the end. You know, we yeah. stayed champ. Nobody beat us. Nobody ever beat us. To be a Rude, you know, he went his way, and I wouldn't work for Vince, so I went my way. You know. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Why didn't that, that uh, you know, Raging Bull, Rick Rude combination uh, get any more life out of it? God, you guys had, you, you could have had another, at least a couple of years with that. Oh, what, yeah, but Rude was getting tired of, uh, you know, us being behind everything. We, we outdrew everybody. 
You know, there used to be, once upon a time, there was an A team and a B team. The A team was Dusty and Flair and everything. So the B team went out with Rock and Roll Express and Water Machine and Razor. And we had Boogie and Barbarian and Denny Brown, that crew, and that A team had the Horse Workman, Dusty Magnum. But we outdrew them. You know, and Rude got tired of that, that kind of messing around. So he said, you know, we're going, to, I'm going to WWF, talk to Vance. I said, well, good luck, kid. You know, it's yours. Hey, you're in this to make a living, to support your family. You decide what you do. I'm behind you 100%. You know, that's all I could tell him. You know, yeah. he went over there and said, you're coming. I said, no, I don't work for that dude. I can't work for that dude. So, you know, things yeah. happen. But, you know, we had a blast. We had a blast. I mean, like Mike asked, you know, my time with Rude was fantastic because we knew what we had to do and we did it and got people. But we got we stayed over with all the people. There was places people liked us more than they liked rock and roll. Where you know, Philadelphia. We were over like a million dollars, me and Rude. You know. Oh my God! Yeah, I'll vouch for that, brother. Yeah, so I'll vouch for things. that. You guys killed it at the Civic Center every month. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah but. but me and Rude, you and Rude, the greatest thing about Rude is one day, you know, we had to go, and it was in Huntington, West Virginia, and we had to go an hour Broadway, Rock and Roll Express, and I was out there with Ricky, bam, 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 me and Ricky, about 20 minutes, and I tagged Rude, he comes in with Robert, and they go about three, four minutes, he tags me back in, I looked at him, yeah, so I get out there back with Ricky, and we're getting the heat and everything, and come back, I, I realized, wait a minute. I'm doing 40 minutes to this hour, and him and Robert are just coming in and out. Me and Ricky busting out. So <laughs> I get back to the back after the match, and we're taking a shower. And I say, hey, dude, we're a tag team. Remember, we're a tag team. Right. put in a little more time than that. And he goes, wait a minute. Remember what yeah. Dusty said, you're the worker. I'm the gimmick here. <laughs> well, we got I a surprise. Uh, I got a, Manny, I got a surprise for you, brother. Yeah. I got a good friend of yours on the phone with me tonight. I don't have any friends. Yeah, mystery guest, introduce yourself to Manny Fernandez. See, now, uh, that I have. I have brothers. I don't have friends. I keep a small circle of brothers and Johnny Mantell. Tell you, sir, he's one of them. I just tell you about Johnny Mantell did such a great job for me at Global Wrestling Federation. To this day, I'll never forget him in Black Bart. Him and Black Bart put up <laughs> with a lot of stuff that I threw at him at Global. They did a wonderful job as workers. Well, Johnny, welcome to the show, everyone. This is uh, Cowboy Johnny Mantell joining Manny Fernandez tonight. And uh, so, Johnny, better late than never. I'm glad you're here. You still with me? Oh well, well. Tell me how life in uh, in Wichita Falls, Texas, is, brother. So, for everybody that doesn't know, Johnny is uh, the curator of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, located in Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, that's his baby, and uh, and he treats it like his baby, and he should. He's got a lot invested there, my friend. Tell everybody what they can expect to see and do when they get to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita Falls. Well, you can see all the history and see what, uh, what this business has become 
Well, we're going to talk about your history with the Raging Bull. Uh, as far as I know, the, my history brings me back to Southwest Championship Wrestling. Uh, as that's when I could first put Cowboy Johnny Mantel and Manny Fernandez together. Now, is, am I right about that, or did you guys go back a little further than that? Manny, is that about right, that time frame? The 77, uh, I think that would be right, yeah, because I was back there from West Texas State. That would be right. So, you know, we don't know a lot about, you know, up here in the Northeast, we don't know a lot about Southwest Championship Wrestling. You know, we're familiar with world class, of course, you know, Fritz's uh, group there in, in Dallas. But so, how would you best describe to me Southwest Championship Wrestling? What was uh, what was the flavor? What was the feel? One of the greatest territories ever. Joe Blanchard had a hell of a territory, and he was a great pay guy. And you know, you might have heard of uh, World Class because of Von Erichs, but Southwest Championship Wrestling was a lot better than that. And we had a bigger area, and we drew a ton of money. We had a great, great crew there. You know. Especially when Wahoo was a booker, we had a great crew there with Tully and Gino and myself and Chavo Guerrero, Tiger Conway Jr. And then the Sheep Perders came in, Al, Al Perez. I mean, we had Killer Kim Brooks. I had Bob so much. You know, Bob Sweet, Dan. You know, we had uh, Tank Patton. I mean, we had a hell of a crew and we had a hell of a run there. We, you know, got yeah. paid every night in little towns, big towns. Joe Blanchard was fantastic to work for. He was fantastic. Johnny, would the you know compared to uh, to other promoters in in Texas? Now I know people don't understand, but when we talk about you know the territories, uh, you know wrestling territories, Texas alone had like seven wrestling territories. Can you tell me? Um, how did they all get along? Did they work together? How did how did the promoters in, in Texas cross promote with each other? How did they work together? Well, during the heyday of the promotion, there was four major promotions. Johnny was was uh, what? All, all, NWA, all NWA promotions. Oh, and yeah, that we should also point that they were all National Wrestling Alliance. 
Johnny, was uh, was Gory Guerrero part of that uh, that loop down there? Yeah, he owned El Paso. Johnny, I never knew that. I didn't. Never, I never knew you trained with the with the Guerreros. Gary, you got a question. Yeah. Uh, you know, I watched wrestling from the 80s on up from when I was born. Um, I was a real I was a real big fan of yours, especially when you did go heel with uh, Paul Jones. What was uh, what was like traveling with Paul? You really want to know the stories about Paul Jones, huh? Yeah. Oh, brother, we love the road stories. Yes. Yeah, well, we didn't like Paul Jones. Rude couldn't stand him, man. He mm. could not stand him, man. There were so many times that I had to calm Rude down because Rude, he'd go out there and hug up all the one-minute promo. He'd get out there and start talking, and Rude would get so angry about that because he'd go, dude, why can't he be like Paul Ehrling, stand behind the Warriors, and then just talking to him at the end. He always wanted to hog the microphone first and get himself over and blah, blah, blah. And that would just piss off Bruce. And then, of course, I was trouble all the time, and everybody knows that. I'd get him fight, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And he was the guy that would call Crockett and tell Crockett that I did this and I did that. So he was basically a stooge. So we didn't really care for the guy. You know, we traveled. We didn't travel around Paul Jones. We stayed as far away from him as we could, you know. There was incidents where I took a crap in his hat and all that good stuff that got me in trouble. But you know that's me. I didn't Manny is is part of that. Manny, no, I was just going to say. I'm sorry, Johnny. Uh, I was just going to ask Manny is is part of that because he was a a worker and not strictly a manager. Did, did he had that like need to be up front? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. But he's been for the Crockett for a long time. He started as a cameraman and became a wrestler. But 
you know, he's been with the Crockett promotion forever. And I guess the manager and not wrestling was a step down for him, but uh, you know, it was horrible for us, you know. Go ahead, Johnny. But, That's a real good question. That's a damn good question. Well, that's what we asked, too. I asked Dusty the same thing. And what he told me one day, well, he needs to do something. We, Crockett wants him to be involved somehow. So he ends up with us. <laughs> I mean, of all the people to put him with, though, the, the, the two guys that didn't need a mouthpiece for sure. You know, no. and, and Johnny and Manny, you bo both of you guys knew Rick Rude. You knew him. He was a soft-spoken guy. He was a real nice guy. But I heard that legit, if you pissed him off, he was, bar none, the baddest ass you ever want to mess with. Any yes, truth sir. to this? Yes, there is. I've seen it personally. And then he used to get... What I loved about Rick Rude is when you did piss him off. Because Normie Rude, he was a pot smoker. I used to call him China. Hey, dude, you got Chinese eyes again. And he's smoking. <laughs> he'd just chill out, mellow out and everything. Me, I was a partier drinker, you know, crazy. Johnny Mantel, I'll tell you that. And then I'd get in fights. And one time, when I got in that fight in the dressing room with uh, Tully Blanchard, you know, I just blew it off from what happened years ago about the stabbing and stuff. I had to cock the cup on the nuts and went after Blanchard, started beating the hell out of him. All I remember is when Barbarian pulled me off of uh, Tully going, no, brother, you're trying to kill him. I go, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know. Uh, Lex Luger ran into the room, like, to do something. And Rudy stood up and go, where the hell you think you're going? And Lex <laughs> took off running out the damn door. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Lex Luger's going to do too much. No. So, Mike Messier, that must our have president filmmaker, Mike Messier. You got a question for Cowboy Johnny Mantell. Well, Cowboy Johnny... Uh, well, real, real quick, I think that was the Crockett Cup in Baltimore, uh, Raging Bull, which I actually attended as a youth, and yeah. uh, what a gr what a great tournament that was. Um, <laughs> but uh, Johnny Mantell, we're talking about uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling, which was actually the predecessor to all of wrestling on cable TV, because as far as I understand, Southwest was the first promotion on the USA Network uh, with... Yes, with Bruiser Bob Sweeten, Manny Fernandez, yourself, Johnny Mantel, Tully Blanchard. Uh, I think Ken Lucas might have been there. I could be wrong, but I mean... Ken Lucas and Ricky Morton, the original rock, uh, rock and roll Smith. You're correct. Right, right. And it, it, it's just so interesting that for all the folklore about pro wrestling, you're right, that Southwest Championship Wrestling, which I remember being on the USA Network in the, the pebbles of my memory... It was really uh, a, a great promotion, you know, like a UWF, like kind of four, you know, three or four years ahead of the of its time. A hard hitting promotion, not over the top like ECW, but a hard hitting old school wrestling promotion. And it was really a, a great promotion. Can you tell us about when that first got to the USA Network? You know, what was the buzz or what was the atmosphere for the guys in the dressing room? He expected the guys that he brought in to wrestle believable. And they, 
Because again, in Texas, if you went out there and you acted like you were scared to wrestle and you acted afraid and you did a lot of things that weren't hard-hitting wrestling, fans in Texas were going to boo and run you out of the building. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. They want to see, they want to see you know, Jim get in the ring and have a fight. And that's what that's what Joe Blanchard and Wahoo did. That's what Gary Hart and Fritz or Gary or, or Fritz and my brother Kenny did. Uh, they brought, you know, hard hitting, hard fighting action to the ring and the fans got used to it and and uh, um, I think that's I think that's something that brought Texas wrestling Yeah, there's a name you don't hear much anymore. Yeah, Johnny, there's a name you don't hear much anymore, Eddie Mansfield. Hey, I'll tell you Eddie Mansfield's story. Him and Scott Casey, that's right. Johnny Mantell's telling a true story. Him and Scott Casey had one of the hottest angles going to Southwest Championship Wrestling. And it came down to a hair versus hair match in San Antonio at the Hemisphere Arena. And once we got on USA Network, we were selling out everywhere. And that network put us over so big, and they believe in believable wrestling, something that you don't see today. Like Johnny was saying, everything was hard right. in action. But they had the big hair versus hair match in San Antonio. You know, Eddie Manson had that long, beautiful blonde hair and everything. So Scott was going over, and then Red Scott was going over that night. When we were ready to cut his hair, Eddie Mansfield had second thoughts. He took off running out of the ring. And we said, me, Tiger Conway Jr., and Chavo Guerrero Sr., they don't hell no, he'll kill the town. So we dragged his ass <laughs> back all the way to the middle of that ring, and we told Scott to shave his damn head as hard as he could. <laughs> he wanted to run out of the building, then he got all mad at us, and he didn't want to talk to us no more. But, and then it went down the road, he exposed the business a little bit. I'm pretty sure you know about that. That's where he got it. Yeah. Kind of disappeared, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he tried. He tried to run out on that. It, it didn't work though. <laughs> it didn't work. Incredible. Well, you know, I, I tell everybody that uh, you know, for the record, and everybody who listens to the show knows that uh, Cowboy Scott Casey is a good friend of this show. He's been here uh, probably three or four times already. Uh, hell of a storyteller. He's got a great book if you're interested in it called One Last Ride. It's a hell of a book. Now, Johnny, let's talk about talking about a you know a, a last ride here. This is the lasting ride, I should say, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Now, I got to ask you, Cowboy, is Manny Fernandez represented in the Hall of Fame? Gave him 
sort of held those guys back. They didn't really turn them loose and let them draw like they could have drove. Uh, Manny drew every place he went and uh, uh, protected this business with his whole heart and his entire body. And I think that's uh, the true sign of a Hall of Famer. So I try to tell Manny Fernandez's story every time someone comes in the hall and asks about it. That's remarkable. Manny, how does it make you feel hearing those words? For Johnny, it's fantastic. Because I uh, love and respect Johnny because of what he did, like I said. How he uh, helped me at Global Wrestling Federation. Him and Black Bart did a lot for me. They put up a lot with uh, a young JBL and Bobby Duncan Jr. And they put up with a lot of stiff guys because they knew that they were there to help the young kids get over. And they had no questions, no egos. They did a great job. And I just want to tell Johnny, I'll probably be seeing you a lot more because I'm moving back to Texas. I'll be moving right outside of Dallas, brother. Oh, that's beautiful. Yep, I'll be. they got a school going up in Willis Point, Texas, called the Bull of Hard Knocks Wrestling School for Global Wrestling, uh, Global States Wrestling Alliance. And when were you going to spring this news on me, there, Bull? Oh, you know, I was kind of to keep it down. Golf States Wrestling Alliance is uh, a little organization I built with a kid that I trained many years ago, Mike Gunner, and we're starting wrestling in uh, the east of Texas. Hey, we got four promotions going right. east Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and a little bit of Georgia and the Panhandle of Florida. Would it surprise you if, if I told you I know who Mike Gunner is? Oh, yeah, I would, because I didn't know that he got out there. I know he's a great kid. I know who he is, yeah. Hell of a nice yeah. kid. Got a lot of potential. Great worker. Yep. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you what, you know, um, the sky's the limit for Mike Gunner, brother. I'm going to tell you that for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a great kid. He's uh, spent a lot of years training with me and R-Truth, Homicide, Logan. Well, I could go on and on about the guys I trained, but, you know, they're, they they got their own stories, and they made it big in their time. And Absolutely. You know, you know, we took a young JBL, and look what JBL became. You know, Bobby Duncan Jr. would have been, would have survived, you would have probably won the greatest ever. You know? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, but, you know. And that's a shame, too, Manny, because the name Bobby Duncan Jr. is oftentimes lost in wrestling history. But I remember, you know, up here in the Northeast seeing classic matches with Bobby Duncan Jr. and our champion up here, Bruno. Uh, right. And, oh, my God. But he had a yeah. son, too. Bobby Duncan had a son that wrestled in ECW and uh, WCW in the uh, ninety-seven and ninety-eight. I think that's who Manny trained. Did you do you mean the son that came came through in the late nineties, Manny? Yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. Indeed. That was yeah. That was that was the the guy that you saw Angelo wrestle Bruno. He had a son who wrestled in ECW for a brief time in ninety-seven and oh, went to I didn't World. Know that. Yeah, he went to WCW and was part of the West Texas Rednecks with Kurt Henning and the Windhams, Barry Windham and Kendall Windham. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. He passed away, yeah, Bobby unfortunately. Bobby yeah. Duncan Sr. is the one you're talking about, Russ. Bobby Duncan Sr. <laughs> I have a great story about Bobby Duncan Sr. West at Southwest Championship Wrestling. We were oh, driving down on me. 
And we were driving down to Laredo, Texas. They had that big Lincoln Continental. He had just come back from finishing up New York and stuff. And he was rushing us a mummy. <laughs> he would wrap him up and everything. And every now and then I'd pull a rib on him and put so much powder on on the mummy tape, right? <laughs> and the guys would chop him and it looks like a bomb going off in the ring. It'd be a cloud of white, right? So Bobby said, Brother, you put too much, you know, okay, I won't do it again. But I did it a couple of times, though. So one time we were going to Laredo, I kept, I kept watching him dip, and I never dipped before. I knew that Murdoch chewed tobacco, but I never really seen anybody dip skull and spit in a bottle and shit like that, right? So yeah. I kept asking him, why, why do you do that? He says, come here. And he reaches in that damn skull king, and he sticks a whole gob of it down and takes <laughs> my gum. Brother. In 30 seconds, the whole car was spinning. I was dizzy as hell, puking as hell. I had to lay on the hood because it was going round and round. And he started laughing his ass off. He goes, I bet you won't put no more of that powder in my gimmick. Oh, my God. Gary Arnold, questions for Cowboy Johnny Mantel or Manny Fernandez? Uh, well, not much of a question for Manny. Um I actually worked with uh, two guys that you helped uh, mentor, uh, Travis Hooker and Sam Bass. Oh my God, those are my those are my kids. I just I just uh, got right before I got out of here. I was uh, Travis texted me; he's got a new job. Yeah, those are my kids. I love those kids to death. Yeah, I just see Travis me. Monday. Matter of fact, did you? Now, ain't he a great guy? He's a fantastic kid. Yeah, yeah I worked in the ring with him. Um, probably about six times did you really yeah he uh, really? he was uh, he was at the same training school i was uh Southside pro wrestling right uh that's after they finished with me i had bobby and uh he goes there to get i always i always tell my guys ring time is good time anytime you go somewhere it's a quality guy go in there and get in the ring with him because ring time is good time anything you learn that's what absolutely I was you know now johnny and and manny you know, back in the day, there weren't wrestling schools like there are now. It seems no. like uh, every corner has a wrestling school. You guys yeah. learned by doing. You, your, your training was on-the-job training. I want Correct. you guys to give you know, young workers kind of a feel uh, you know, and, and get into it if you want to. Uh, give them a kind of a feel for what you guys went through. You know, and how easy they have it now. To tell I mean, you, you know, let's cut through the bullshit and just tell everybody, you know, what you guys had to go through to learn your craft. Well, first of all, we were very fortunate back in the day when me and Johnny started that there were some veteran old timers that had been in the business that could carry you, teach you in the ring, show you what's right and wrong, make you pay your dues, and make you earn them too. You know, these guys carried you. Like I said before, when I went to Florida, I got carried by the greatest wrestlers in imaginable. Hall. Some are in the Hall of Fame, and like Don Morocco was probably is there or not. I don't know, but he's a great one. King Curtis was. I had Sonny King. I had all the top Dory, Terry, Harley, you know, Buggy McGraw. I mean, I could go on Florida. I was fed so many great veterans that even if it was so green, if you couldn't learn from these guys, then you were in trouble. Then you didn't belong in the business at all. 
Yeah. Because everyone has a different style. You learn from everyone. You pick their brain. You learn under their learning tree. And that's how you got along. You went on the road. You said, I, I was on the road when I was a junior playing high school, I mean, college football, West Texas State. Murdoch and them would make me go on road trips with them. And I'd sit there and listen to them. And, you know, I I was hearing all these stuff they were doing. I'm going, God, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I was already learning the business, even though I wasn't in the business. Because they trusted me so much that I could ride with them, go to shows with them. You know, yeah. it, it was just amazing what these guys could do. And you don't see that anymore. Where, like, no, you, you really don't. Johnny, yeah, who taught you the who taught you the ropes, brother? Yeah. And that and that's what uh that's what the training was about. I mean they yeah. they make sure we were ready to get in the ring and perform or again, everything everything that I and I tell people this all the time and I don't mean it to harp on it and I don't sure don't mean it to just say it over and over and over again, but in those days if you could not be believable, you wouldn't have a job tomorrow. Yeah, you know what, Johnny, we were talking about that with, with the raging bull. You know the believability factor. You know you during your uh, your your uh, uh, your answer there, you mentioned something that I picked up on. You know, learning from the guys in the car, those car rides, those car rides are non-existent now. Both of you guys, I want you to chime in. You too, Manny. How important were those car rides to to your education? To your career? Oh, God. They're, they were so important. Like Johnny said earlier, I refereed too. And Barry Windham, after I started wrestling, Barry Windham took over for wrestling at Emerald Third for me. But I started refereeing and I started listening to the boys because I get in there to break them up and they were talkers. You learn from that. You listen to them in the ring, what they're doing, what they're saying. And the same thing with the car rides. I mean, it's unbelievable the knowledge you get from guys drinking beer they took the fun out of uh, out of wrestling when they started all this flying because you go in a car ride with four people drinking beer having fun talking angles talking stories and everything it's unbelievable that's unimaginable it's priceless it is really priceless of the things we did back in the day in a car going up and down the road it's priceless this is something that should be in a in a damn museum because that's what it's worth it's worth knowing that that knowledge is that valuable, and that was valuable to me. How about it, Johnny? Well, that's exactly what's in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, which is all about Falls, Texas, is that, is that kind of stuff. You know, I refereed a Dory Funk match, and like, like Manny said, you could lean in and hear him call the spots and pay attention to why they did that spot and how come. And then later on, you rode an hour and a half or two hours in the car with Dory, 
better and the match was over. And that was that's part of this education. And I'll tell you, I think that's what's really hurting the business today is these kids nowadays, there's not the road trip with veterans anymore. They're road trips with young kids and they're talking about all their young stuff, but they're not traveling much with a veteran that's giving them that education. I mean, yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of miles with Scandor, Akbar, and Grizzly Smith. Oh, my yeah. God. That, that's awesome, man. All the mileage on the road is unbelievable. Storytelling, just listening to the guys talk about wrestling. probably flew with Bill Watts 10, 12, 15 times from New, from New Orleans to Shreveport or New Orleans to Tulsa. And the entire time he's talking about angles and how to get an angle started and how to pump it to the next level and get the next and do the next. And so the business is losing a lot today because we're not having that kind of the rest of it. It's that old, you know, the old saying, well, here's the rest of the story. Well, the rest of the story of our business isn't being told in long four and five and six hour car rides. Yeah. You know, you again. You you mentioned something there that that prompted a question. You know, it it bothers me when I go to a local promotion and I see two guys in the back spending thirty to forty five minutes going over spots for an eight minute match. They're going over a match longer than the match itself. I have a problem with this. Tell everybody what it was like back in the day when you called it in the ring, when you called it on the fly. Yeah, you, you get the referee come over, you give your finish, and that's it. And you go out exactly. there and tell a story. You that's tell your story. There was times, you know, Dickie Slater was a booker at Southwest Championship Wrestling, and I was a Southwest champion. And, and he'd come out and he'd say, I call in the ring. I didn't even know what he was going to do. So we went out there in the ring, and I followed him because Dickie Strader was one hell of a worker. One hell of a worker. Not only one hell of a worker, one hell of a tough guy. But he called everything out there, finished everything, and it always got over. Never said a word. Yeah. Never said a word until we got in the ring. And you get well, used to that. You know, you get used to that because that's the way it should be done. We got a guy here tonight that is a, an independent worker. Uh, one of my co-hosts, Gary Arnold. Now, Gary, I got a question for you going to put you on the spot here and i you know me i hardly ever do that um when you're in the back and you're going over spots with a guy is it really necessary to go spot for spot uh, and what what happens when you say to a guy let's just you know let's just call it well i guess it all depends on the person that you're working um how long they've been in the business and whatnot um to go from spot to spot definitely not uh needed um maybe just the major spots that you want to you know for your your shine or something like that yes just so you know what's going to happen at that point but um not necessarily shine. wait a minute you said you're shine what shine you shine and choose or what <laughs> exactly thank you manny exactly um, <laughs> it's called the comeback. It's not a shine like shining shoes. It's called a comeback for your comeback. And I taught you say you wrestled my boys Bobby and Travis. They were taught that, and they were taught to call it in the ring. They don't do all that other stuff, especially Bobby. Yeah, he's uh, Bobby always here. has called it in the ring every time I worked with him. 
Yeah. And that sign stuff just drives me nuts. You know, the guy told me that one time, one of his young guys, I went to a, a promotion, some promotion, independent promotion. The guy goes, well, you know, how about my sign? I said, what the fuck? You're going to sign my boots? Yeah, you know? right. Manny, I got I got to tell you, Manny and, and Johnny, here's here's the one thing, fellas, that, that drives me absolutely fucking nuts. Is when a guy says, I just want to get my shit in. Right. That makes me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, always, <laughs> I don't know. I know Johnny Del Russell anymore or or he does i haven't seen him but i still do and i always get that <laughs> and the shit is that's when you hook him and he show you just hook him and tie him up in a little knot and then tell him hey dude you're gonna get your shit in all right <laughs> johnny you know? what are your thoughts on that and when a guy says you know look i just i'll i'll you know i'll put you over just let me get my shit in what what does that do to you? Well, it, it comes back again. It goes back to how I was trained and taught in the business, and that is, when I'm if I'm the heel out in the ring and I'm giving a guy a chance to make a comeback, I'm gonna let him make his comeback. But when it's time for me to stop him, I'm stopping his ass. Yeah. If that don't, if that's not his shine, if he doesn't have to shine in with me selling and doing the right thing, then uh, like Manny said, you just tie him up and you just take it all and you just take it all. I mean, there's no reason to go on. In my day, there was lots of times you never saw your opponent until you were in the ring. Maybe the referee brought you to finish or maybe the referee didn't bring you to finish. And it was just all done in the ring by the feel of the crowd. And that feel of that crowd, again, goes back to that education that we keep talking about of the business. And exactly. And the business is being lost today because they really don't, they, they think they know how to work a crowd today, but they really don't know how to work a crowd because an old veteran could get three times more out of a crowd than a young guy could from the way they're doing it today. They, they yeah. They they This just doesn't always happen that way. Some nights the crowd don't want to believe the shit you're doing. So you got to take yeah. that. Exactly. You know, Go ahead, man. Those guys do a lot of cheerleading. Hey, 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 look at me. You know, in the old days, you got you got over by your work. How you work in the ring got you over. Not that cheerleading, clapping hands, jumping on the second row, going, oh, you like this. You know, it's it's funny how they do that. It's, it's, I'll, I'll tell you what. I was in a show with Dominic Danucci, the old school Dominic Danucci. Oh, God, yeah. There and the, guy, the guy comes out of the back, and he's all... Yelling and screaming and everything like that. Dominic Danucci looks at me. You do nothing. You've done nothing. Get in the ring and show your stuff. What are you yelling for? I started laughing. I go, they all do that, Dominic. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I, I went to the ring. I, I was taught the ring is my where I do my thing. That is my, that is my stage to get in there and prove to my, the people how good I am or how bad I am, whatever. That's your stage. That's where you get over, or that's where you fail, and that's the way I was taught, and that's what I believe. You know. Go ahead, Johnny. Sorry, Johnny. Guy, the guys back in the day, if you could work, and I'm telling you, when I started my first summer in the business. 
assassins every night. I worked with a guy by the name of Salento Rodriguez, or I worked with Ted Heath, or I worked with Moose Morowski, or I worked with, and if you didn't perform in the ring, those guys, as Manny said, they tie you up and hook you up. So it was important every night to perform the best you could in the ring because you didn't want that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Back, back when I was in Florida, and we were still young. Uh, yeah. I know. That's why I always respect Johnny Mantell. That's when I put him in there with those young stiff guys, and they were really stiff. They really, really stiff. And Johnny took care of them for me. But you know, I remember. I'll tell you this much: I remember back when I was young, and I had the Florida title. And I had to wrestle all these great heels veterans that I respected. I, one thing I was told, shut up and listen. And that's what I did. Exactly. I, I just shut up and listen. And then when they told me to come back, they told me, you better have a house. John told us, the Golden Greek told me one time, when I tell you to come back, you better come back. I don't give a damn. If you're shitting in your hair, you better have some fire, boy. Exactly. You know, I come that's back. That's old then, school, brother. Yeah, That's and then awesome. when it was time for them to stop me and to come back, they get I get oh I get a step when I go oops I guess it's time. <laughs> I SCA, you got a question? Well, I remember um, Manny Fernandez wrestled uh, Wahoo McDaniel, I believe, in an Indian strap match at Super Clash Three, which was the yeah. uh, AWA World Class Championship Wrestling and uh, s several other wrestling groups. To me, that was kind of the last stand of the old territory days because that was when those promoters, Vern Gagne and the Jarretts and the, the Von Erichs, they tried to come together as a united front for one last stand. And uh, the, the main event was stopped because of blood. But what a lot of people forget is kind of the precursor to that match being stopped, the Lawler-Von Erich match, Kerry Von Erich, was because the bloodiness of the Wahoo McDaniel Manny Fernandez match. And in the commentary on that show, they made a point to illustrate that because the blood was flowing so deep between Manny and Wahoo, that the referee felt that they should stop the, the Lawler Von Eric match, although they didn't get as bloody as Wahoo and Manny. I guess my question is, Manny, if, if you can take us back to that evening, were you and Wahoo kind of instructed or or encouraged to let the rivers flow mightily that night in order to to set the pace for what was to come no. later on that evening no if you you kept up with the feud of me and wahoo for years we beat the living crap out of each other we oh, literally that. Beat the crap out of each other we busted each other open a couple times the hard way you know yep. i over naturally you know we have thick scars and uh scars that open up like a boxer's eye you know Right. And, of course, we wrapped that, that damn leather around our fist, and we hit each other pretty damn hard. But what nobody knows behind the scenes is this. They weren't supposed to stop that uh, Lawler-Von uh, Erich match because of blood. They really want to put each other over. That's why everything fell apart. Oh, okay. One of us was supposed to go over, right? And now when they stopped me and Wahoo and had a bloody, bloody match, and then we come back and realize the Horizon Center was sold out. And now the territory is going to jump because of that. The people booed the hell out of that match. Yeah. They were so pissed off. I knew they wouldn't come back. 
And when uh, I had Wayne Bloom and Gary Enos, Ray Stevens, me and Wahoo, and I was so damn mad when I found out what they did. And I was back there covered in blood. When I saw them come back in, I ran after. I was going to kick the living shit out of them. I was so mad because I knew they just killed the town. They just killed the damn town after what me and Wahoo did. It took Wahoo, Ray Stevens, Ray, uh, Wayne Bloom, and Mike Enos to tackle me and sit on me until they got out of the dressing room. I was going to destroy them because I knew what they did just killed our town. It was unbelievable. We were out there having a bloodbath, and they had a trickle of blood, a little, one little trickle of blood, and it was unreal. You guys wow. let it all hang Johnny, out in that match. All, Johnny, um, Johnny, how did... Yeah. They weren't no they were no works, they were no pussy footing around, they were fights out in the ring and the blood that they gave represented the fight that they had. It was up to Kerry and Jerry Lawler to make sure that they covered their ass and did the right thing in their match. They couldn't get the job done. So um, and that's why I'm sorry when Manny said that I started laughing and I couldn't stop laughing is because again goes back to what we said all night long about the education and about the learning of the business. And as you guys know, this is real heavy time about induction time. And I'm getting a phone call from overseas right now trying to work out all the airplane for the Bushwhackers, for Butch Miller, I mean for uh, uh, for Butch out of New Zealand. I'm trying to work on that airfare and all that, getting him over here. So I'm going to have to cut out of here. But Manny, I love you. And you're telling them exactly the way it should be told, my brother. And I hope to see you today. And Dominic DiNucci will be in Wichita Falls May 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th. We hope to see everybody there. Fantastic. I'll be there in May, Johnny. You take care. Love you, brother. I love you, brother. Thank you. Good night. Thanks, Thanks, Johnny. Johnny. Thanks so much, Johnny. I'll touch base with you in a couple days. Thank you, buddy. Take care, bro. Bye-bye. How that about that, Manny? That was a great guy. I've been trying that, to go down in the Hall of Fame, but I'll tell you the honest truth. I'm not into all that. I'm in the high school Hall of Fame, college Hall of Fame, junior college. You know, that that I earned that. I earned that. And that's what absolutely. I'm proud of. I've always known about wrestling. I respect the hell out of it. Till this day, if you say something stupid about it, I'll punch you in the mouth. You yeah. know, not so much wrestling. So I got told a guy one time, wrestling don't owe you shit. What do you think wrestling owes you? They owe you nothing. We owe wrestling. It made us a living. It gave us an opportunity to be somebody. It doesn't. You don't deserve what wrestling is if you think it owes you something. So. You know, Manny. I want to. I want to ask you a question along those lines. I read an article recently about the five top major sports. It's called "Ego in Check." That was the type of the, the title of the article. "Ego in Check." Of the uh, of baseball, football, basketball, and hockey, pro wrestling ranked number one among the largest egos in sport. Oh my God. I want to. You're laughing because I want to know why. <laughs> I don't know because they should be. NFL should be number one <laughs> with all the stupid stuff they do. And I played in the old NFL. And, 
I remember when you had to wear black cleats, not white cleats. I remember all that stuff. You had to truck these. And, you know, NFL now is so wide open. Everybody does some ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know, the only That's thing I crazy. don't respect about wrestling is that guys come out cheerleading instead of getting over in the ring. Amazing. By wrestling. You know, it's wrestling. Yeah. Like I told the kid, there's wrestling on the marquee, dude. It doesn't say cheerleading. It doesn't say trapeze act. It says wrestling. And it'll always say that. And they just look at me weird. Because that's what it'll always say. It doesn't say high-flying shit. It says wrestling. Wrestling, exactly. Always, the you know? marquee says wrestling. Absolutely. Yeah. Manny, I'm gonna, I want to ask you to do me a favor, Manny. Just play along with me a minute, okay? Just, just humor me a minute. Gary, okay, go I got a question for you, Gary. Yeah. What's the difference between going over and getting over? Uh, going over is what you get for... <clears throat> Just for going over the match. Uh, getting over is you selling enough to the crowd for the crowd to believe in what you're you what you're selling. You know, um, for them to be able to get behind you. And I guess for me as being a baby face that I am, I I went from not being over to being way over because how I attend to the fans, I I I make sure that when I'm out there, it's the best performance that I've I've done since the last time that I was in the ring, and it works out well for me. Being with the fans behind me, it makes it a lot more easier to do in-ring work. Um, you necessarily don't have to do as much, like people say, like get your shit in. You don't. That's not needed. You don't need to get your shit in to get over at all. That's now, man. I, I well, asked Gary that question specifically because I wanted your answer last. What's simple, the difference between getting over and being over? It's simple. It's how you do it. It doesn't matter what happens during the match. It's how you get to that point and how you do it. It doesn't matter if you go down, up, whatever. It's how you do it. It's just the same simple thing as saying, well, I take all these bumps. That doesn't matter. It's about what bump and what time it matters. It pops everything. Same thing with getting over or, go, or not being over. It's how you do it. It's like I said about Don Morocco. I beat him every damn night, but he was over bigger than I was ever going over or anybody else. It doesn't matter. How, it's how you do it, how you get to that point. That's what a lot of people don't understand right now. It's like, yeah. oh, I got to get over. I got to get my shit in to get over. No, dude, it's how you do it. It's like me. I tell these promoters when they bring me in, hey, man, we want to bring you in, put you with our champion. You know, I wrestle Ethan Wright. A bunch of young guys should be probably in WWE because they're that good. And I put them over, and, and you know what? They get over stronger because of the way I do it. And then when I get up, the people are yelling, man, he still got it. He still got it. He still got it. You know, it's yeah. not, not. It's how you do it. It's the same thing as not when, not how many bumps, not how many bumps you take. It's when you take the bump. Exactly. Now, Manny, how do you stay over? Once you're over with the crowd, how do you stay over? You got to be better than yourself every day. Every day you go out there. Remember, we used to have 364 days a year. We only had yeah. Christmas off. I mean, Christmas Eve off. It's the only time we had off. So you got to be better every night. You got you to bring your A game every single night. You got to prove to yourself 
that I could be. And you know what the greatest thing about our cards were? We had great wrestlers on the card. Guys would go out there and have a great match. That pushed you to be better. You had to be better than that match. That, it was easy to follow a great match. Horrible, harder to follow a horrible match. And there's oh, a lot yeah. of horrible matches in the day. So it made it easy for us, you know. And we had so, guys. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'm glad you said that because one of the things that a lot of people don't know is your placement on the card will determine in a lot of cases whether you're over and how long you stay over or if you're ever going to be over. Correct. And a lot of people don't, they don't grasp that. They don't understand it. They don't know how it figures in. And I'm glad that you explained it that way because it was perfect, brother. It was perfect. Well, let me tell you this, too. The way that my underneath card, I had one of the greatest underneath cards every time I went out. You know, the Danny Browns, the Hector Guerrero, the Mike Davidson, you know, and the Boogies and the Pesuatis, the Barbarians. Every time I went out there, they set the table for me. So when I, by the time I got to the main event, I could probably pick my nose and get over. That's how good the underneath <laughs> Yeah. They set the table for me, and I went out there and busted my ass because they busted their ass. And you don't see that no more. It's all about the ego. I'm going to get myself over. I don't give it to I'm going to get. Ex no, yeah. they set the table without being egotistic without being selfish they got their match over and it made me get my match over that much more exactly oh by the way manny i gotta tell you uh, uh yesterday in fact i spoke to magnum on the phone <laughs> he's uh, doing good oh man I, I love him i love magnum um i'm going to bring him on may the 5th he's coming on may 5th with me Right. Now, I'm hoping he doesn't listen to this show tonight, because what I would love for you to do, if you'll do this for me, because I'm your new best friend right now, what I would love for you to do is, uh, can you do a, uh, a run-in call for Mag? Yeah, sure thing. Beautiful. Yeah, we spent time together in Southwest Championship Wrestling after Buzz Sawyer ripped him off for all that money. He came in and I worked with him Ooh, and Al Perez and a couple I, other guys. I was going to ask you about that off the air, but so don't don't say nothing. Okay, well. yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> um, we won't we won't talk about that now. Um, Mike Messier, you're chomping at the bit. Go ahead, brother. Well, just just what Manny said about the undercard guys. If you take a look at a show like Starcade 1984, Thanksgiving Night 1984 in the Greensboro Coliseum, Manny Fernandez was fifth on the show. Uh, in a Brass Knuckles championship match against Black Bart with J.J. Dillon at ringside for Bart. Uh, but you had guys like Brian Adidas, Jesse Barr, Mike Graham, Mike Davis, Denny Brown. For people that have the WWE Network or there's other ways to see Starcade 84, the undercard really stole the show because people yeah. kind of people remember that the Dusty Flair match with the referee stoppage by boxer Joe Frazier was very disappointing. But to me, I watched Arcade 84 about a year ago, and it's it's actually a great show because the undercard uh, stole the show. And Manny had a great match. Tully Blanchard and Steamboat had a great match. But it's, it's, it's what Manny said. I just want to say that he's absolutely right. You had some great guys in those 84, 85, 86 Jim Crockett era. You know, you yeah. had undercards though, Mike, that equaled main events today. 
Exactly. Some of those undercards back in the day were better than main events today. WrestleMania level main events. Yeah. And, and I, go ahead, Manny. Go ahead, Manny. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's telling me the truth. Mike's telling me the truth. I enjoyed being on the undercard. I really did. I used to tell Crockett, he'd get mad at me. <laughs> I said, I don't care if you put me on first. I get to the bar first. <laughs> That's great. And and I, I wanted to say I wanted to say when Johnny was on the air before, but the audio was a little uh, low on my end with Johnny. Uh, he wrestled the first two opening matches at the uh, '84 and '85 Parade of Champions for David Von Erich. He wrestled uh, uh, Kelly Kaniski the first one in '84, 15 minute draw, and then he wrestled, I believe, Sweet Brown Sugar or, or Skip Young uh, in '85. 15-minute draws both times for Johnny Mantell, so I wanted to give him a shout-out for that. Um, I just wanted to make one last little thought, if I could, and, and then that I'll be done. Uh, listening to Manny Fernandez tonight and the integrity that he has in keeping uh, the spirit of professional wrestling, the mystique, as we've talked about Angelo in previous episodes, and the, the amount, the fact that Manny would fight in a bar uh, to defend the integrity of professional wrestling the way that it should be presented and perceived by the fans. Compare that to Monday Night Raw about a year ago, uh, this big, bad Braun Strowman, six foot eight, six foot ten of them, he's choking this guy from Saturday Night Live, Mr. Scarlett Johansson, against the wall, and uh, then he lets go of the guy, and the guy totally no-sells the choke against the wall. And this is not a professional wrestler. This is an, uh, a comedian from Saturday Night Live. So when I think about that that happened a year ago, that I guess I'm the one that remembers that, and other fans just so quick to forgive, that happened on Monday Night Raw, and broadcast everywhere. When the WWE replays that, they chop around it, they edit it. But to me, the guy like Manny Fernandez has so much more integrity than the current state of the WWE, and it, it, it does get me angry, to be honest with you. Not not at Manny, obviously, but against yeah. the state of the WWE and the state of the business and the lack of respect these guys have their, for their own industry. Yeah, and Manny, you know, and I understand where Mike is coming from. You know, we, you know, we affectionately refer to Mike as the angry wrestling fan. Uh, he yeah. does seri- Yeah, he does a series of uh, videos on YouTube called the Angry Wrestling Fan. Um, yeah, you got to check them out sometimes. But, you know, here's what I want to bring this up. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my co-host, uh, Jeff the Ref Robinson, passed away. And we do a, a segment every week now called Remember the Ref. Well, the Ref was good friends with a guy that you knew really, really well, Ivan Koloff. Oh, I love Ivan. And uh, so... Uh, in closing this show tonight, I would love you to do uh, our segment of Remember the Ref by telling us an Ivan Koloff story. Would you do that for me? Ivan Koloff was, the, I used to call him the hardest worker in pro wrestling. That guy was nonstop, man. I mean, he would go and go and wrestle so hard. I enjoyed matches against Ivan. Especially, you know, that one time I told him we had that cage match, me and Dusty against Ivan and Nikita. I said, brother, do you really want to take this knee off an 18-foot cage? And he looked up at me, I trust you. <laughs> you know, with that Russian, I trust you. I said, oh, my God, I was scared because I've never done it off an 18-foot cage. You know, he never even moved a muscle. And I came off that cage. I didn't just jump. I jumped higher. I jumped up, then down. And he never moved a muscle, man. And I landed. Yeah. 
And then uh, I was like, Tootie, you okay? He goes, didn't feel nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, mean, I love he, it. I gave him all the credit in the world for laying there. I don't think I could have done, done it, to tell you the truth. I don't think I could lay there and let somebody drop a knee off 20 feet up in the air on my face. But he did. That's <laughs> he was, amazing. Javin Koloff was a man's man. Man's man. What yeah. Was, what else business? And I heard, it. Manny, that he was so loose in the ring that you barely felt anything. I used to tell him, <laughs> harder. I can't be harder. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, I, love I love being stiff. And I, I, but the loosest guy ever fell in the ring was superstar Billy Graham. Oh, my God. He was so damn loose. I, I didn't even know he was on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's actually a friend of mine, uh, just so you know, uh, Manny. Yeah. I know Superstar a long time, brother. He's and a he's a, a sweetheart of a guy. I love, I love Superstar. Oh, oh, by the way there, Angelo, I'm still open April 11th. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I, you know what's funny? You mentioned that because we don't know now with this coronavirus thing. We don't know. What, we're being told they may cancel that event. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, you know and I, I wanted to talk to you about that because Terry Funk's going to be there. And I know you and the Funker go back a long time. Yeah, since 1977. But uh, Terry, I was supposed to be with Terry this past weekend up in New York, the big event. And Terry canceled because of his health. So I don't yeah. think Terry's going to be going anywhere, especially with this virus out there, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know. So, yeah, I, I mentioned that because everybody's canceling everything. I was supposed to this weekend, big time. Council Saturdays. We're supposed to be Saturday in West Round Top, Ohio. I got to be in West Virginia, and then Round Top they canceled. So, yeah. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a call tomorrow, uh, and and go over a couple things and and let you know what I know so far. Um, okay. What I'm gonna do now is uh, say thank you so so much, uh, my new best friend Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull. We're going to say goodbye to you and goodnight, but you are definitely coming back for the Magnum show because I want to surprise you. Terry with you for yep, sure. You. And uh, and so when are you planning on moving back to Texas, brother? Uh, probably the end of May. All right. Terrific. Because Terry's not doing a good housewife there. I don't want to be that far away anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you, my friend. Manny, thank you so much, man. I appreciate everything. You are the best. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys, and uh, thank you for having me on here. I appreciate it, one of you, Gary and uh, Mike Messier. I Sorry I confused you for a massive uh, hockey player. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I, I taught him everything he knew. Just remember, Messier won a cup without, <laughs> Messier won a cup without Gretzky, but Gretzky that's never right. won a cup without Messier. That's right. Yeah, thanks. that's true. Thanks for all That's the great true. memories, right. Agent Bo. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks, Manny. Have a good, good night, night, brother. Bye-bye. Yeah, Bye. Great guy. Great guy. Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull. How about that, Gary? That was good. Huh? That's something that'll pop the boys. For sure. Not one, but two legends, huh? Johnny Mantell and Manny Fernandez. Mikey, talk to me about your memories of Starcade being there that night. Well, the the start the the what the show that I was at 
was uh, Crockett Cup 87, and I oh, have the Crockett program. Okay. Check it out. I have the program. That he is from still has the program. That's from 1987. That's that's older than most of the viewers, and that is <laughs> the, the scrawl, the handwritten scrawl. That's the white piece of paper that they would insert into the program yes. with my childish handwriting of, of writing the... And I have right there, Rude and Bull defeated the Thunderfoots and uh, they would go on to lose to Dusty and uh, yeah. Nikita Koloff. And in the in the program, this wonderful program of the tournament, which I purchased at the Baltimore Arena for four dollars. Wow! And the program is is full color. They uh, charge you twenty bucks now for the program. <laughs> yeah, and it wouldn't be as classy as this. Look at that! You can see. Oh, both. look at that! Yeah. You can see them uh, in their glory. Rude, sure. Bull, Rick Paul Rude Jones. and Manny Fernandez, sure. And this was coming about two and a half or three weeks after WrestleMania three. And I'm telling you, I if I could make a time machine, I would keep the exact same path that I would have gone to the Crockett Cup 87 in Baltimore both nights yeah. rather than WrestleMania three because I was an NWA fan. The first shows that I saw were WWF. But once I started watching guys like Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, superstar Billy Graham was in the NWA at that time, Boogie Woogie Man, Dusty, of course, Ivan yeah. Koloff, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, blah, blah, blah. That's when my eyes opened that there was more to professional wrestling yeah. than, you know, the WWF, basically. And now, uh, that's Gary, what, was your, what was your first introduction to wrestling? Did you get... Uh... The, uh, the the Vince McMahon product uh, no. where you are? No, I mean it was only, only uh, time we WWF was here was on Sundays. I think it was right, but mainly everything was NWA. So you had Jim Crockett, right? Yes. Okay, and uh, so your introduction was NWA. Mine was uh, was WWF back in the day. But I got to tell you, and then Jeff the Ref and I used to talk about this. Even though I grew up watching the WWF product, I actually preferred the NWA because of what Johnny and Manny were talking about. It was more believable. Reality. You know, it seemed, you know, real and authentic. And uh, now I'm wondering if, if they... Um, if the if Mid Atlantic and Vanguard, uh, those Mid Atlantic territories now are still carrying on in that tradition, you would know better than I would. Um, I believe they are. Um, there's definitely not the entertainment value like WWF puts out or makes people bigger than life itself instead of just you know guys wrestling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Mikey, your thought because you got that look on. I know you by now. You got that look. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if the the Vanguard wrestling from Virginia is ever going to dip into where has dipped into the Carolinas, North Carolina or South Carolina. Just just curious if you guys ever come down to those areas. Uh, How about it, um, They've been actually playing around with a few ideas to actually do travel. Um, they were thinking uh, one way of making it like a season. A wrestling to where we travel just for a certain amount of time and then take some time off. 
Um, That's not a bad idea, actually, Gary. Now, is, is it, that the, it's not really. Oh, I'd actually really enjoy that because it, you know, allow people to see our product that we do here locally. Um, but I mean, and just the same is, I'm I'm booked almost every single weekend. Actually, I my I had a booking this weekend. Next weekend coming up was canceled from the virus. Yeah. Um, VCW might be canceled now. Uh, Saturday because of the virus. We're still waiting to hear what they're going to decide to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of putting everything on hold right now. Because um, you guys, you've got a big weekend coming up. you got Sergeant Slaughter supposed to be coming in. Yep. So, I mean, uh, you know, they cancel that weekend. You're going to take a big hit big time. Mm-hmm. Not just financially, but, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose fans that may not come back if Sarge is not there. I mean, that could happen. Um, it, I mean, he, he we could still have the show and he not come due, due to the airports and stuff like that from him flying. Um, yeah, true. There's a lot That's of stuff that could be involved in that as well uh, from it's just us not canceling the show. Yeah. Well, uh, so tell us what's going on. Let's... Uh, Let's go on the premise that everything is still on. So uh, where are you going to be? And um, what's coming up for uh, Livid the Clown in the next couple of weeks? Well, um, let's see. uh, This Saturday, BCW at Hampton High School. We are um, going to do a charity for the school itself with all ticket sales. And then this Sunday, I'll be in Elizabeth City, North Carolina for Next Evolution Wrestling. And I was supposed to be going to West Virginia next Friday, but that's canceled now. Yeah. And then the weekend after that, I'm me and my tag partner, we're going to be in Petersburg, Virginia for Elite Wrestling. And, and what then, are the dates on, on those, Gary? Uh, the dates are... Well, let me pull it up. So yeah, we got uh, we got a couple things coming up. So I want to make sure that if everything is still on, that people know where to where to go to see you and uh, and how to get a hold of you and all that. So let's uh, let's hope that uh, none of these events are canceled. Let's hope they remain in place and on target. For All everyone's right. sake. Sorry, my internet's going uh, slow tonight. <laughs> that, that's quite all right. Well, look, let's just people can find you uh, through Vanguard, through uh, New New Evolution Wrestling. They can go onto those websites to find out where you're going to be. Yeah, they can. Okay. Now, how do people get a hold of you? What's your social media? Uh, you can just go to at Live of the Clown on Instagram, um, Live of the Clown on Facebook. Simply Safish on Facebook. Okay. Um, at Clown Livid on Twitter. Okay. Terrific. All right, Gary. Well, we're going to say goodnight to you. And I will see you next week. Same okay. time, same channel. All right. All right. Good, to, good to meet you, Mike. Good to meet you, Gary. Take care, brother. I'll, I'll okay. talk to you in a couple of days. Okay. Have a good night. You got it. Bet. You bet. Bye-bye. Just you and me, Messier. I guess so. Me, you, and uh, Morocco. And uh, yeah, 
you know, I love that action figure, by the way. You got all kinds of stuff, don't you? Well, you know, the funny thing is, Angelo, when I moved from uh, Rhode Island to Florida, I had a big uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Moro, became my eBay advocate, and he did manage to sell a lot of the Mike Messier personal wrestling belongings to the community at large. And uh, funny thing is, we had a couple of Rick and Scott Steiner Galoob action figures that apparently uh, a woman was related to the Steiner brothers, and she bought them for her kids because they were the nephew and niece of the actual Steiners. That's the story, anyway. Oh, Who knows that's if it's funny. True. Yeah, but, you know, I but did that's keep... the story you got, right? That's the, It's a good story. If it's, It makes you know... a great story. I love it. <laughs> but, I mean, I've, I've still got the, the stuff that was really hardcore to me. If you look at this T-shirt, this is Taz and Sabu from Barely Legal. Yeah, uh, sure. 97. I'm actually going to start my own merchandise uh, Amazon store. And I'm going to have some of my original uh, wrestling photography available for T-shirts for everybody, because um, you know, in this in this economy, you really have to make money any way you can. And by sharing some of my artwork, whether it's wrestling or other things, I'll I'll be uh, keeping myself alive. You know what I mean? And we want to. That's a great segue, and I want everybody to take a look at this shirt here. Nice. This is the Wrestling with the Future T-shirt. I love it. Available on our Facebook webpage at Wrestling with the Future. And you can find us also on Twitter at Wrestling Future. We do not yet have an Instagram, but I'm working on one. We were actually working on it when uh, when the ref passed away, rest his soul. And yeah. uh, but this show misses him every day. Well, I wanted but, to kind of, if I could, Angela, just say that I give give you a lot of credit. I know it's been especially tough. For yourself, uh, you know, dealing with Jeff's passing, to me, as I told you on the phone last night uh, on a personal phone call, it still hasn't sunk in. Uh, we're moving forward, but Jeff will always be a part of this show, and uh, it's just a sad thing. And it, like I said, it still yeah. hasn't caught up to me, but I know that you have really come forward and brought together a team of guys because, like as you said, not one person can take Jeff the Ref's spot. So yeah. you have to have a, a kind of a, a rotating door of different people who can all contribute in different ways to the puzzle that yeah. is this masterpiece type of thing. Yeah, you know, and, and that's why I have you know Gary here and I have you. Of course, I've got Mike Kelleher, and from time to time we're going to have you know some special guests come in and uh, and fill in. They may be famous, they may be people you don't know. They may be people that are on the independent circuit, but we, but I certainly have a, uh, a who's who lined up of people to come in. Some of them will surprise you. Some of them are, are very, very well known. Uh, I think the wrestling community. I think that's great. I mean, I think, I think, like I said, you know, it's, 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 we, you'll never fill those foot, uh, those shoes. So yeah, making it, making it a different type of thing is the way to go and uh, kudos to yourself for keeping this thing rolling and with all the listeners who who uh listen and support the show and get those t-shirts because it's a sharp looking shirt i mean that's a that's a good looking shirt thank you yeah. i designed it myself well you did actually good job. i got it and i got it i got to share credit my my wife was actually responsible for quite a bit of it so i gotta i get a shout out to to uh the missus over there, Anita. Well, Anita did a great job, as did she's yourself. laughing at me. 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff, the ref's sister has been very complimentary towards all the memories. Uh, just so the fans that are listening, if anyone has chimed in on social media, you know, with yes, their, absolutely. She's been very supportive and very appreciative of everyone saying the nice things. Yeah. Uh, and she's really supportive of the show and, uh, and found out things about her brother that she didn't know, like how many friends he actually had, which are, you know, numerous uh, into the hundreds and hundreds of people knew and loved Jeff the ref. And, uh, and I'm still getting, you know, uh, emails and, and texts from people that are extending their condolences to me. Why? I don't know, but, uh, but thank you. And we will accept them graciously, but, uh, you know, Jeff will always be a part of this show. There's, there's no question about that. And, that's always going to stay. And, and so, if I could, where can go ahead? Oh, go ahead, Mickey. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, just just one thing, and I think I, I said this to you uh, in a different form or on that video tribute I did for Jeff. But I do think it's worth saying again that the night that Jeff passed, I, you know, Jeff and I literally two or three days earlier had this extensive debate about WWE and all these things. And and Jeff, as as we know, was always defending wrestling and WWE against any type of uh, criticism and the night that jeff passed i was at an nxt show so there i was supporting uh you know the wwe nxt version in jacksonville florida and i kind of think that jeff kind of had a hand in that in some spiritual context because he would have appreciated that he got one over on me at the at the very end did that yeah. was at the nxt show um but uh, as far as what's going on with me, Angelo, if that's where you were about to ask. Yeah, where can people get a hold of Mike Messier? The, the first thing I would guide them to is MikeMessier.com. If you go to MikeMessier.com, if you want to help me out, right at the splash page, you can click on my IMDB page. Now, what IMDB is, Internet Movie Database, for a guy like myself who was not born into the film industry, did, had was born with no connections, and somehow I've managed to work with Meryl Streep, Wesley Snipes, Sybil Shepard, on my own accord, not being born into the Hollywood elite. But if you click on my IMDb page, that helps my ranking go up a little bit. You can also go to Mike Messier on YouTube. It's Mike Messier. You can see the wrestling rants. You can see my movie with Ox Baker. Ox Baker, one of the boys. You can see Wrestling Son, Memories of My Parents' Divorce with the late, great John Cronus and Killer Kowalski. You can see Rejected by Reality with the late Balls Mahoney. Uh, and if you want further Mike Messier fun, if you're a filmmaker yourself or even have a cat video or a dog video or, or want to make a movie, you can enter my film festival, Avalonia Film Festival. That's A-V-A-L-O-N-I-A. -A -A. It's named after a continent of, of land that's, that drift into the ocean from New England, Avalonia Film Festival. If you're a playwright, you can enter my theater festival, Avalonia 7 Theater Festival. Uh, and it says for social media, it's Mikey Messier on Facebook. I still have room for a couple of thousand more friends. Uh, Twitter, it's Angry Wrestling Fan, Mikey Messier. I also have my more subdued filmmakers uh, thing, Avalonia Festival. You can find me on Twitter in both ways because I have my 
my wrestling guy, and then I have my uh, my artistic guy because I get too, I get too many personalities in this one body, Angelo. <laughs> um, you and I well, have been. That's dis- why you're perfect for the wrestling business. <laughs> that's why I'm still here. And then and then you and I have been discussing that uh, we we won't give the title away right now, but but you but I've been working very hard on revisiting a pro wrestling script that I originally started writing nine years ago. There might be a life lesson in this for people. That I started writing the script nine years ago, I wasn't happy with where it laid off. And since moving here to Florida, about six or eight weeks ago, I picked up that script. And right now, it's at 109 pages. It's spell-checked. It's, uh, you've read it. You've enjoyed it. We'll be talking about that uh, yep. privately. But if anyone's interested in helping Angelo and myself get this pro wrestling script, a feature film-length script, with the possibility of sequels, uh, please contact Angelo or myself, and we'll discuss it. And they can reach me at wrestlingwiththefuture at gmail.com. They can also uh, find me on Facebook at Angelo DeCipio or like our page on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash wrestlingwiththefuture. Find me on Twitter at wrestlingfuture. Uh, You can also, uh, again, email us at wrestlingwiththefuture at yahoo.com. So we've got Yahoo and Gmail. So there's no excuse not to reach us somehow. Uh, If you have guest ideas, show ideas, if you want to come on to promote a promotion uh, or yourself, let us know and uh, we'll make ourselves available to you and entertain the prospect of bringing you on the show. On behalf of Manny Fernandez, Cowboy Johnny Mantell, Gary Livid the Clown Arnold, and Mike the Movie Maker Messier, I'm Psychic Medium Angelo. Thanks for joining us. Happy wrestling, everybody. Bye-bye.